In this series, we explore the landscape of students, smartphones, and social media, asking global experts to explain the hard truths about the mental health decline among youth on campuses around the world and inspire us with the evidence-based strategies that will turn the tide. Thank you for being here. Ginny Urich is a Michigan homeschooling mother of five and the founder and CEO of 1000 Hours Outside, a global movement, media company, and lifestyle brand intensely focused on bringing back balance between virtual life and real life. She is the host and producer of the extremely popular The 1000 Hours Outside podcast, a keynote public speaker, and Zinnia enthusiast. Holding a master's degree in education from the University of Michigan, Ginny and her husband, Josh, have been married for over 20 years and are lifelong Michiganers. They love raising their five children in the Great Lakes State. Welcome, Ginny. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. So what is 1000 Hours? How did it begin? It began because I was a mess of a mom. That's how it began. I really had a hard time when our kids were little. And and truth be told, I still kind of have a hard time. But when they were really little, I just was failing and flailing all the time. They were crying all the time and nursing all the time. And it was just this rude awakening. I stepped out of being a classroom teacher. I felt like I was pretty good at it. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this situation where every day, day and night, I'm struggling with raising kids, raising young kids. We had three in less than three years. Wow. But even when we just had one, like even when it was just the oldest, I just really couldn't figure out how to manage him and manage our days. And so we ended up signing up for all these different classes to kind of help the time go by. And those were always like a Herculean effort, you know, try and get three kids to the library. Well, they're all nursing. They're all in different size diapers. They all, you know, need a change of clothes. They're crying. You know, you're trying to, you have to buckle everyone in. You need a stroller. You have to have your diaper bag. You have the library books to get the kids in, like just in the door. I remember those days. I was in a very similar spot. As yeah, you. It just, yeah. It's like yeah. so hard and, and you're exhausted. Like by the end of it, it will be like 11 a.m., you know, and I would be like, <laughs> like, I'm done. I am toast. I, like, you know, get them there, get them through the program, get them home. And my husband worked, you know, he worked a normal eight hour shift, but he had an hour commute. So I mean, I would say like eight hours left, you know, and I hadn't slept the night before. So it was just really some tricky years for me. And I wanted to love being a mom, but and I love my kids, but I just didn't really love being a mom. And I had a friend at Mops, which is mothers of preschoolers. And that was another thing that I signed up for, hoping to get like an hour or two break. Like you drop your kids off at the nursery and then you go sit with these moms. But then my kids were always crying. So they'd always bring them back. It's like a whole thing. But I had a friend there who told me about this woman named Charlotte Mason, who's who was this British educational philosopher from the 1800s. But she didn't tell me she was from the 1800s. It was just like this statement. And she said, Charlotte Mason says kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And Christina, I thought that was a wild idea. I was like, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, nobody does that. And yeah. I was just thinking about the library program and how awful it was. I mean, it was awful trying to cry my kids. The programs were great, but trying to crawl my kids for 45 minutes and they didn't want to do it and they're fighting over the toys. And I thought, well, four hours is like the library program times six. (laughs) That sounds awful. No, thank you. But then she invited me to do it. 
And I did because, you know, you want to have friends when you're a young mom. And so I said yes. But I thought it was going to crash and burn. And we met at this park that didn't have a playground. It was just grass in Michigan uh, in 2011, over 10 years ago, with our three, both had three little kids. And we brought a picnic blanket and a picnic lunch. That's all she said to bring. So I was kind of like, uh, <laughs> well, what about toys? You know, well, should we bring some balls? You know, what about, uh, you know, all these different things? Like, should I bring a water table? I can make some Play-Doh, you know? <laughs> and she said, no, like, don't bring anything. And I thought, okay, you know, what's going to happen here? And I just had no idea, Christina, that the kids would just play. How silly is that? I just didn't know. <laughs> and what ended up happening was the kids played for hours. She had two preschool toddlers. So did I. They ran around. I got to sit on a picnic blanket under the warm fall sun, fresh air, nature sounds, have a conversation with my friend. We each had babies that would nurse. They'd sleep. And so I always tell people it was the best, it's the best day of my life that I've ever had because it was the first good day I had as a mom. Mm. I've not had a good day up until that day. And then we left at one o'clock. We went at nine. We stayed for four hours. Kids came back and forth and got food. And I felt so good. I felt good. And our kids felt good. And they fell asleep on the way home. All three of them, a miracle. Fresh <laughs> air, know? running around, we'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I drove around for a while. Gas was cheaper back then. And they were all sleeping. And then all of a sudden, it's like four o'clock. And when we're close to dinner and we're close to the end of the day. And yeah. so it started there. It started on that one day. Mm. It was in the fall of September, 2011, uh, started. That was the, the seeds were planted and we changed our life. We changed how we were scheduling our day to day. And in time, I came across all sorts of statistics that say things like kids are outside on average for four to seven minutes, but they're on their screens for four to seven hours. And we were spending all this time outside, but not running into other kids. And because this nature time had so transformed our family, and then I started to see that our kids were hardier. They weren't getting sick as often. They were sleeping better. They were eating better. They were getting along better. There's all this research about how outdoor time is good for cognition. Mm. Wow. And their physical ability and their emotional health and all these things, their social skills. I started to write about it. And so for the past 10 years or so, I've been writing about how nature time has transformed our family and how having a goal, it's a simple premise, but it has a profound impact. We just have a goal. We're aiming to get outside for a thousand hours a year. We have a goal because it's hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to do because the weather's inclement. It's hard to do because there's all sorts of other things that vie for our time, but it really is a life changing journey. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's incredible. I know I discovered 1,000 Hours probably in the last 12 months. I had the privilege of joining you on your podcast. And mm -hmm. just having 1,000HoursOutside.com, you go there and there's all kinds of resources. But one of them is a free printable and a whole series of free printables. And so mine is um, the rings, looks like a, the rings of a, a giant tree. Mm -hmm. And each one mm -hmm. represents 
that one hour and just the joy of coloring that in and mine does not look very tree like it's like every color of the rainbow you know it's like not a very organic looking tree it's like a rainbow tree um and like you know I actually am just doing the practice for myself but my children watch it and of course I try to include mm-hmm. them in as many of those hours as possible but also just modeling that habit for them I think it's been powerful and it's like an outside you know it's an external reminder to myself and to my family that this is a goal and this matters let's talk about um the all of the learning you've done around nature how has it shaped your understanding of digital well-being well what's really interesting is that when you go outside it is helping with all of these facets of your whole being and digital time does not do that and in fact in a lot of ways it does the opposite you feel worse you feel tired your eyes are stressed You know, sometimes I read things on a screen. People will send me books. I'm like, I can't. Like, I need the actual copy. Me too. Because my eyes start to hurt. I'm like, maybe this is because I'm old. I don't know. But when you go outside, this is helping with, you know, you find respite there. And it just helps you to relax and unwind. And there's so many studies about the smells and the sounds, you know, bird song, that bird song makes us feel better. And mm. the sound of running water makes us feel better. And bird song is, is, it carries further in the morning. So this is interesting. Bird song carries 20 times further in the morning. Why? And I think that scientists don't know why. Maybe it's quieter. It's, I don't, I don't know. I think that makes sense. And maybe they do know why. And I just don't know. The bird song. It is quieter though. That is true. Yeah. Bird song carries further in the morning. Well, if you go outside in the morning, what happens is the sun light, the full spectrum sunlight, it's so much brighter than it is inside. Even if you have a lot of windows and you have this airy home, you go outside, you can measure it with a lux meter. It's so much brighter out there. And that full spectrum light goes right through your eyes, straight to your brain, and your brain releases serotonin. It makes you feel better. And throughout the day, then that serotonin turns into melatonin at night and then you sleep better. So if you want like happy kids that are good sleepers Mm. and you want to hear the bird song, (laughs) that's going to make you feel better. You go out in the morning, 15, 20 minutes, take a walk. I think this is a really practical takeaway for those who are listening, um, you know, adult students in terms of like the college age, because, you know, I've done this big project with Virginia Tech. We're working with college campuses now. And what we're hearing from students is they are on screens, not for pleasure, not for extracurricular. We're not talking about like the time wasting on TikTok, although that's also present, but just to complete their requirements for a college degree, they are on screens 10, 12 hours a day, their eyes, like they are suffering, their bodies are, you know, like they're suffering on every dimension. And just this practical suggestion of first thing in the morning, getting outside, getting your body moving. You know, so many of these college campuses are beautiful, right? Green space, getting out there, hearing those birds, like you're saying. I'm always looking for these sort of practical strategies, um, you know, for people to put into practice right away. So Mm -hmm. I love that about the getting out in the morning, right? Because you're setting that up before you are required to be in front of those screens for huge chunks of the day. Well, let's camp there for one minute, too, because Mm. the other thing is that your eyes. So this is really interesting. So talking about getting outside, your eyes being on screens, our eyes have a ciliary ring around them. It's a muscle, just like a bicep. And when you are indoors, when you're doing near work, your eye muscles are always contracted and they stay contracted even when you sleep. 
the only time that they release, the only time that they relax is when you have a broad field of vision when you go outside, when there's that long range and the near, and that's when your eyes can relax. So if you're on a screen for 10, 12 hours a day, if you're doing schoolwork, if you're reading books for school, all these things are near work. You have to give your eyes a chance to relax because what's happening is those muscles are contracted more than they're meant to. And so people are developing myopia. They're developing nearsightedness. It's growing in insane proportions just because we've lost that balance, I think, between all the time that's indoors and the near work and getting outdoors. Yeah. And I just read this book called 52 Ways to Walk by Annabelle Streets. It's one of the coolest books I ever read. And she says, broad sweeping vision shifts us into a state of greater calm. Mm. broad sweeping vision and then we're, we have got you feel it you go outside and you do you feel that calm and it comes from so many reasons it comes from the bird song but it also comes from your broad sweeping vision and these little brain circuits that are at the back of your eyes and the light's supposed to hit it and all this stuff is going on amazing thank you for sharing that i actually had never heard that before um again a hugely practical and compelling reason to spend more time outdoors from your perspective what is the biggest digital challenge facing youth today oh i think it's exactly what you said i think it's the schoolwork and i just read a book by victoria dunkley and it's called reset your child's brain so she's a phd and she talks about how this has just really infiltrated now i used to be a teacher and i quit in 2008 and things were starting to shift then, but I think they've really shifted in the last 10 to 15 years where, like you said, kids are having to turn in their work on their screens and they're having to do some work on their screens. And she says that that blue light that comes from the screen, even if it's not at bedtime, you know, people talk about blue light blockers and all that. She says it really messes with your body. It messes with your circadian rhythm. So she had a lot of practical ideas. Now, I don't know if this would work for college students, but she had a lot of practical ideas for parents of younger kids to say to the teacher, she says, stand up and say to the teacher, I'm not doing the work on the screen. We're going to walk outside and work on our spelling words. We're going to play with these sticks and work on our math. And we did it. And I'll let you know we did it. But we're not doing all of these worksheets and we're not doing all this work on the screen we are going to have balance for our children. She specifically says sometimes that she'll write a prescription for kids not to have homework. Wow. Because they have to have that time. They're already in the classroom for seven hours. So that's all that near work. They're not out of the four walls of the classroom. So I think that is probably one of the biggest challenges. And I think that from a lot of the books I've read, it's really been sold to us by technology companies. Obviously, they're making gobs of money by having an iPad in every student's hand. Yeah. But it's really not in the best interest of our children. Hmm. Yeah, there's so much around that. I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned that there's a requirement for college students. But, you know, in the interviews I've done with, you know, students in that stage of life, they want analog options. They want to be able to afford the book, the physical book, having that option to even access that book. They want analog options for test taking and assignments um, because they are, you know, acutely feeling the fatigue and all of the other things you were Mm -hmm. describing, you know, those negative impacts of the constant screen use. And so it is up to educators and these individual schools, but school boards, school divisions, you know, the pendulum has swung, right? all the way to this far extreme and how do we begin to bridge that back technology is not the solution for everything and that you know we've gone through this unbelievable (laughs) 10 year plus period and then COVID of course like 
you know, mm-hmm. fast forwarding that to such an extreme level that we need to start pulling it back. The smallest change can have a massive impact on students' lives. That's why Jomo Campus exists. For North American universities and colleges that need to support the well-being of digitally native students, Jomo Campus is a first-year digital well-being program that increases student social engagement and academic focus. Students need to learn digital well-being principles and practices early to help them thrive. Imagine a flourishing campus where students, faculty, and staff prioritize in-person connection over digital distraction. Imagine community. We work directly with your wellness or student life department to customize and deliver our proven first-year digital well-being program. Book a discovery call with us to learn more by visiting jomocampus.com. That's J-O-M-O campus.com. What is the single best strategy you know to foster well-being? I think we already know what this answer is, but why don't you go ahead and share it? Well, I I would say to strive for balance. And that's my answer, but it's not easy. I mean, it's certainly not easy. And my friend Erin Lochner, she has this book. It's called Chasing Slow. And I just think that's such a brilliant title of a book because it is something that we have to purposefully chase. It doesn't just happen. And I think what's interesting is that society has changed. I do think that society used to, in some ways, protect that. It used to protect balance because television wasn't available all the time and because you you didn't have a, a phone in your pocket. And so that naturally occurred. Balance and boredom that naturally occurred. We had more time, but Mm -hmm. things have really shifted. And so it's up to us as parents, as individual families, as school classrooms, we have to pursue that and it really will help our well-being, but it's definitely a tall order. Mm -hmm. What are some principles of wise digital decision-making that you use with your own children, with your own family? So we've always just bound it in. And I don't know if this is the right way. I don't know if there is a right way on how to deal with it. But our kids really like technology. I think some are really into it and some are less into it. I think there's probably a a broad spectrum there. But our kids like cartoons and they always wanted more, more, more. It was always a source of contention. And so I wanted to be a yes parent mainly. And so I always just said yes Here's when you can do it. So mm. can I watch a cartoon? Can I watch a cartoon? Well, yes, Friday night. So that's what always really worked for us. And I kind of just feel like it's a step back to how it used to be, right? There's like the cartoons were only available on Saturday mornings until noon yeah. and then they were done. So basically, I'm just taking like the own strategy for my own childhood on how the world was set up back then and saying, yeah, we can do some of that stuff. Here's when we can do it. And so if they ask on a Tuesday in the afternoon, I would say, yes, on Saturday morning or something (laughs) like that. And that's worked really well for us. I mean, we've got a 15-year-old and it's worked well. You know, and then you get into the spots where, you know, they want to text friends. So it's always changing. But I have always felt like if we fill our lives with what we want to fill it with first, as opposed to letting screens bleed their way into everything, then it really helps us to have balance between what we want our life to be and kind of what's grasping at our attention all the time. 
Mm-hmm. It's like that big rocks principle, you know, putting those big rocks in first. Yeah. Like what are those core, you know, time consuming, effortful, joyful activities, you know, that we want to build our life around and then filling in, you know, the other spots. I Albert Borgman is, uh, you know, a technology philosopher. He actually passed this year. Um, mm. A lot of my philosophy comes out of his work. And he talks about, you know, the fact that his philosophy is less about limiting screen time. And I love that you're saying that you're a yes parent, like what a great posture to be in. You know, it's less about limiting screen time that it is about creating the positive conditions when thousand yeah. hours outside, right? These huge, mm-hmm. beautiful things that you've built into your life for other more life-giving, you know, engagements to thrive and yeah. flourish. And like you talked about earlier, you know, so much of our screen time, if you ask people just straight up, you know, what's the most life-giving thing in your life? What's the most joyful thing in your life? 99%, probably more of people describe offline activities. They're connected to people. They're connected to nature. They're connected to, you know, big goals they have for themselves. Are they easy? Not necessarily, but are they life-giving? Are they meaningful? A hundred percent. And uh, I do believe like, you you know, you with your children, that is these philosophies and these principles that help us a lot more um, in our digital decision-making because, you know, everyone wants to that silver bullet solution, like how do we solve like the technology problem for students, for young people, but really, you know, the technology is constantly changing. We need to navigate Mm. with it and change and decide and be flexible and say yes to the right things. So I love that, uh, that you're doing that with your kids, just very practically, like a 15 year old, is he able to text like our principal, one of our principals with our family, our children are soon to be 14, 12, and 10. Actually, one of them has a birthday today. Uh, And (laughs) the 12-year-old. And we actually allow them to message friends at any time. So that's like picking up the phone and calling a friend like I would have been able to do growing up. So Mm -hmm. if they're messaging and it is like a direct line of communication, but the trick with that is, of course, it is easy to get off task because they're, you know, on a piece of technology. But we want them to have the freedom. We want to say yes to communication and connection directly with friends. How do you deal with that with your kids? Yeah, ours is similar. So we're looking for those relationships, but you know, it can snowball. It can snowball because the difference is, is that when we were kids, you would talk to one person at a time. Well, now they could be texting six different people all kind of at the same time and there can be a thread and that sort of thing. So we also just have time when the technology is not out. And we're at dinner and everything's put in a box or we have these different times. And so I think that's helped for us. <laughs> it's tricky. It's really tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Because like you said, it changes and each kid is different and it's tricky. But what has worked for us is they have these full lives. And when they're full, then you just have less time for screens. And so our best days are the ones when the day ends and we just didn't have much time for it. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have time for that today. But it's a tall order on a parent I do think that it goes hand in hand, though, because we are also experiencing a lot of the natural experiences and we need it, too. We need it maybe more than a parent did in the 80s or the 60s because our lives are so infiltrated with technology as well. So it kind of works out that in order for our kids to maybe have less screen time, then we also have to be pursuing life in a pretty significant way, too. And it just helps everyone. This is the Jomo cast where we explore how embracing the joy of missing out on the right things helps us thrive in the digital age. What does Jomo mean to you? Oh, we're missing out on tons of stuff. (laughs) 
all the right? time. Tons of stuff. And in fact, I remember when our kids were young, you know, on Saturday mornings, we'd be going to a forest, you know, we'd be going to go to a little hike at a state park or something. And we drive past these fields, these soccer fields and not I have nothing against organized sports because especially they're outside, whatever. We drive past and the parking lot, people will be like puking into the street and people will be tailgating and they would have like campers and, you know, they'd be there doing the sports. And so we have missed out on some of those types of things. We definitely miss out on different extracurriculars. We miss out on I guess more screens. I don't know. <laughs> we're missing out on some of that. But we're missing out on a lot, really. We changed our life to ditch some of the busy and to embrace the slow and to embrace what feels kind of like nothing, but mm. really ends up being fulfilling in the end. So there is a lot that we say no to in order to have the time to give our kids. I mean, they need it. They need some of their own time. Jenny, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free JOMO guide, and it's available now at christinacrook.com. JOMO is the joy of missing out on the right things, But sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.